Welcome to another episode of Authentic Entrepreneur. I am your host, Chad Wagner. Authentic Entrepreneur is about real people living their truth through entrepreneurship. And my guest today is not only an entrepreneur herself, but she works with and promotes entrepreneurs every day. I'd like to welcome to the show, Angela Brown. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Chad. Nice to have you here. I'm super stoked we finally get to connect. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, you are a super, super busy woman. Um, got a lot <laughs> of hats that you wear. Well, you know, the life of an entrepreneur, you just never stop. <laughs> so if we could, just to kick things off, why don't you give me kind of a quick bio of yourself and what you do? Sure. So I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was born and raised. And uh, 18 years ago, I took over a local magazine here called Slug Magazine, which it's an acronym. It stands for Salt Lake Underground. And I'd been working for the previous owner for two years. And then I was actually going to accept another position with another company. And so I set up a meeting with uh, that owner. And during that, that exit meeting, he actually offered me the opportunity to take over the company. And um, it, I had some experience um, running my own business in high school uh, as a landscape artist. And my father was an entrepreneur and I just thought, well, um, let me go see if I can qualify for the business loans to take over the company. And I ended up um, being able to do that. So I, I took over the company and that was 18 years ago, drastically reformatted it, rechanged it over, uh, modified it over the, the past 18 years. And then 10 years ago, I started a 501c3 nonprofit called Craft Lake City. And that is a nonprofit branch that um, really promotes local micro businesses, uh, specifically in the creative space that are artists or artisans. And we do that through a large scale DIY or do it yourself festival that happens here in Salt Lake City, as well as through uh, curation services, uh, art exhibits, and then monthly workshops. Fabulous, yes. So I want to kind of go through some of those things again. So Slug Magazine is a print magazine. Um, it's been around for about 30 years, circulating around Salt Lake City. And I'm old enough to remember uh, running into those early editions. And I remember it was kind of a, an interesting magazine. It was kind of for the roughneck kids, the punk rockers and the uh, those type of crowd back in the day. Is that right? Yes, that is completely an accurate description. <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely has evolved. And so uh, now, you know, it's it's more for the hipsters, the modern crowd. It's a great way to highlight what's happening in Salt Lake City. Um, and then, yeah, so then you spawned off this Craft Lake City event 10 years ago, which uh, has really evolved into something of its own. Um, drawing in thousands of people and that's once a year right yes the big event is once a year it's always the second weekend of august so this year for 2018 that means it will be on the 10th 11th and 12th but we do year-round programming so although it does take us about an entire year to plan the big event we're also active in the community every day as well awesome so let's talk about uh slug magazine today what do you do there 
uh, today on the daily basis? Sure. So my title is executive editor at Slug. And basically what that means is I oversee all of the departments. We have over a hundred volunteers that contribute to Slug Magazine every month. And that is through either volunteer marketing services. Uh, we have a volunteer marketing team that goes out and represents the magazine at events. They also help produce our own events, which is a big part of who we are these days have a copy editing team that are volunteers, volunteer designers, volunteer photographers, writers, and then we have our paid in-house team, which is made up of essentially an operations department that handles our delivery. Uh, we have around 14 part-time drivers. Um, that number kind of waxes and wanes. It goes up and, and down kind of depending on um, the season, but we have uh, those delivery drivers that get out the print copy of the magazine each month. Then we've got um, around four paid employees currently in the office that work full time, uh, one independent contractor, and um, yeah, just a small army that really works hard to make the magazine uh, street e each month. But we also do digital through slugmag.com as well. Okay, I could definitely want to plug people into that um, in the show notes. And so it sounds like. Primarily, you're managing people, probably putting out a lot of fires throughout the day. <laughs> yes, you got it. And then we are also staffing uh, a few positions currently. So uh, until we have hired those Teamsters, that is also a part of my position as well, is to kind of cover where we are lacking um, a, a current person to do that job. Yeah. Awesome. So take us back. You mentioned high school, landscape artist, dad was an entrepreneur. Kind of walk us through some of those things that, that led your career uh, leading into Slug and then maybe how that evolved where you took it over a little bit more. Sure, you got it. So yeah, growing up in Utah, it was a very different place than, than where it was today. In fact, society has changed so much over the past 20 years, which I think is really great. Uh, very, very conservative town at the time, much smaller population. And there just wasn't for a, a young person that was really um, interested in alternative culture, um, alternative lifestyles, there wasn't a lot happening here. And so, of course, I gravitated towards slug at a young age. I had a um, an older cousin that actually was living with us in his college years and he brought it home one day and like left it on the counter. And that's how I found out about Slug. I think I was around 13 when I first got a copy. Okay. And, uh, you know, and, and it just opened up this new world to me. I was just instantly um, attracted to it and thought, whoa, what is, you know, what, what, what is this? I've never heard of anything like this. Um, punk rock shows, uh, you know, and again, this is pre-internet. So <laughs> um, to kind of discover uh, you know, this printed material that opened up a door to another world was really exciting at that time. It was super, um, super edgy from what I remember. I think I might have like seen the F word and I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. A, a lot of expletives, uh, you know, just peppered throughout the magazine. Um, and a lot of advertisements for small independent businesses where you could find uh, alternative clothing where you could find buy records, you know, things like that, that nowadays it's, I think we kind of take for granted. We can just open up Amazon and order whatever we need. But, you know, when 
back in those days, you really had to search out that type of culture and spend a lot of time researching into, you know, where you could get what you wanted. And a lot of times you had to import in things from England. Um, I remember my first Doc Martens I got at the, page, at the age of 14 and I had to order them in from England and put down a $60 deposit. And that was, <laughs> it took me several months to save up my uh, lunch money to get that, awesome. <laughs> that deposit together. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking to some people about that, uh, the way the internet's changed access to everything. And I remember ordering from like Thrasher Magazine, sending away for t-shirts and stickers. Yes, exactly. And uh, we're in, even sometimes just finding access to like a Thrasher magazine because, you know, they weren't even carried at most bookstores or uh, grocery stores in the early years. Um, it was kind of difficult. And yeah, so like, how do you find that catalog or that magazine that even connects you to what you know you, you want um, was pretty difficult. Yeah. And with that, you know, even Slug Magazine back then had a really small circulation. Now we're up to around 15, no, around 20,000 issues per month. Um, back in those days, I mean, my goodness, I think there was probably just a couple thousand total. Gotcha. So, and you can continue your story, but it seemed like maybe when you came in on its decline, and that's when you kind of had the opportunity to take it over. It re- yes, it was its second owner. So the original owner, J.R. Rupel, he, um, he started the magazine and one of the reasons why he started it was he was in a local band and he couldn't receive, it was hard for him to get publicity for his band. He wanted to get some write-ups, some record reviews, some live show reviews, and essentially none of the media outlets in town would give him time of day. And so he was working at a print shop that printed the city weekly and had the opportunity to talk with that publisher and just really see, oh, well, it was kind of empowered that, hey, I can do this myself. I can get the printing done for free. So he and a couple of buddies um, put together the first issue and it was just like five pages long, very, very uh, short. And you can actually find all of those, all of every single slug magazine on our website. Um, we've got them archived there in PDF form for you to check out. Slugmag.com. Awesome. Slug yeah. So check those out. But, but yeah, so he did that. And then, um, then he passed the reins to an advertiser of hit of his named Gianni Ellison. And at the time Gianni, was running a guitar gallery shop and he was currently advertising in Slug. So that's how he knew about the magazine and that, that JR was going to discontinue it. And being an entrepreneur himself, he saw that as an opportunity. So he took that over and uh, both of them ran it for around five, five-ish years. And Gianni's big goal was to turn it into a national glossy magazine. And he just uh, was never able to, um, see that goal into fruition. It's kind of funny when you look through the archives, there's a version of the magazine. He started making duplicates. So he made it an issue that had a glossy cover and then he made the free version and he was sending them out of state and uh, selling them for a few dollars a piece. And, huh. you, know, you know, that's just a grueling business model to, to do distribution out of state, all the shipping involved, um, uh, you know, getting some, some uh, retailers to buy your product and re- reimburse you and, um, so I think after a couple of years of training that, he just realized that it wasn't really worth the ROI. Right. And magazines in general, you know, 20 years later, like, you know, past five, 10 years, have seen a lot of uh, activity, ups and downs with the internet. Oh, it's really true. And um, 
you know, it's it's a business model that is really hard to crack. Uh, I think in the the glory days of print in the you know seventies, eighties, even nineties, uh, it was extremely profitable for some industries. For the type of industry that we're in, it's always been a really small profit margin, just a really niche um, uh, demographic. And then also being a free publication, you know, we've never really had that extra funding coming from subscriptions. So it, which is actually really great because it really prepared us for the digital age because then when the disruption from digital came in, um, it was actually a benefit because we could now have um, our content available for free everywhere, right? Um, And so, I mean, because really our business model is based on advertisers and clients that pay for advertising. That's where we get the majority of our bread and butter is through that. And then also through uh, secondary um, and traditionary revenue streams like events and then of course digital. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because you were already free. It wasn't a problem to give away more free information. That's cool. Exactly, exactly. And then also as part of that, because we're free and because we're so community-minded in um, the type of work that we do, you know, we really, one thing that I I really changed when I came on board was setting up this community network of volunteers. And Slug has always been volunteer-based, but we really started to just increase the departments and increase the amount of individuals that joined the volunteer team. And that helped with promotion, but it also has helped us really launch the careers of, you know, I mean, hundreds of creatives here locally, um, which is fantastic. And, you know, I think that a lot of youngsters and, you know, college, high school, um, even, even actually people older in their career, um, that have kind of worked a corporate job that they hated <laughs> for, for, for years, um, there, there comes a crossroads where they really want to do something that they love and they feel passionate about. And it's not about the paycheck, it's about the experience. Yep. And that's always what we've been about. And so um, that's, that's the blessing about this work is that we really attract people that are involved for the right reasons and not um, just to pay their rent, um, which of course we all need to do. Right. <laughs> Yeah, my my mom's an example where she worked, you know, 40 years in a career. And once she retired, she actually started doing what she loved. And so she's down at the children's uh, homeless shelter down there in Salt Lake. And she works there six, seven days a week just helping the kids. That's so wonderful. She and, loves it. And, and, you know, what a great risk for her to finally follow her dreams. So many people never do that. They never get the courage or overcome that fear or you know have someone say no you can you can do that <laughs> you yeah. can disrupt your own life um and quit your job and do what you want to do you may have to make some sacrifices for that but try it <laughs> yeah exactly and so you're helping those type of people um but also the interns is that correct kind of the other volunteers are interns and they're they're progressing their careers there Exactly. And, you know, we do have in in office internships. Um, Usually we take on around three at a time. Uh, But really our volunteers, our monthly volunteers, that's also kind of a form of an internship. You know, it's something that they can put on their resume. It's real life experience they can put in their portfolio. We have a number of individuals that will will come and spend some time with us and do that and then move on to other opportunities. We have several that stay with us for years um, 
for instance, uh, Mike Brown, one of our columnists, <laughs> currently has been with the magazine as long as I have, around 18 years, um, writing a monthly column, which uh, that's that's definitely passion. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so tell me how Craft Lake City developed and kind of how that boosted the magazine or how that played in. Yeah, so... So I mentioned that one of our revenue streams is events. And it's interesting the way that that sort of worked out because uh, getting back to talking about passion and doing things because you love them. One of the reasons why I started launching events with Slug when I first took it over was growing up here. Again, I just felt like there there weren't uh, a lot of positive, interesting events for um, people that for essentially residents. Um, and so, especially those that are college aged. And so, uh, I mean, there was bars to go to, you know, there, there, there's just some shows here and there, but there, there, there just wasn't a lot of other really interesting, engaging things that I was seeing in, outside of Utah. So that was one of the main things, one of my main initiatives when I took over Slug was to make sure that we were engaging in community and cultivating that community, essentially creating community. Um, that we weren't just writing about what other people were doing, that we were actively part of that conversation through our actions. And so one of the first events that I started was called, that we still do today, was called our Localized Series. And that is where we take three local bands, one that's an up-and-coming band, um, have them open for the night, and then we take two that are a little bit more established and we interview them in the magazine and then set them up for a successful showcase at a local club in town and pay them. We design a poster for them to promote themselves. And then of course, you know, interview them and promote them in the magazine. And so it's a great opportunity for them to kind of learn, okay, this is how you play a show. Um, this is how you promote yourself. This is how you get an audience to come and see you because essentially local bands are small businesses. And I think a lot of times people forget that they think that um, things just sort of, people just make it. And in my experience, people don't just make it, people make it. I mean, there's a little bit of luck involved, but a lot of times it's really about hard work and dedication. And part of that, you know, getting people to your show is promoting yourself. Right. So, so that's one of the first events that we did. And then we've launched um, quite a few others. And so Craft Lake City, getting back to your question, um, was a Slug Magazine event um, 10 years ago, its very first year. Uh, but after that first year, I could just see that it had um, had this potential to really take off on its own and to be a broader program than just a once a year event. And, um, you know, that was really based on the feedback that we heard from the community. So after that first year, I turned it into an LLC and we ran on the sponsorship module for a couple of years, which, um, you know, through economic recessions was pretty brutal <laughs> and, you know, really bootstrapped Craft Lake City um, for the first six, seven years. It wasn't actually until about midway through our seventh year, uh, leading into our eighth year, that I was finally able to pay myself a paycheck and also pay, hire some employees. So, I mean, it was really, talk about um, utilizing and working with volunteers. That was really a labor of love for not just myself, but a lot of individuals. Right. Yeah, and so that kind of leads into how I know you. Um, it goes even further back. I think the first time um, I had a business where I was sewing messenger bags and producing stuff like that, 
and I brought in one of my products for you to feature in uh, Slug Magazine and the reviews. And so I think that's when I very first met you was was introducing those bags to you. And then, of course, getting that feature in Slug Magazine was really cool and helpful for my business. Oh, and those bags were so cool. They made <laughs> coffee, uh, coffee bags. The coffee bag. Yeah. And so... And then later on, uh, I think it might have been the second year of Craft Lake City that I jumped in and had a booth, and that was really helpful as well. So super cool, super helpful for artists, musicians, makers. I love what you've put together there. Thank you. Well, and thanks for being part of it, Chad, because you know we couldn't do that event without uh, smart creatives like yourself. Tell me about your creative tendencies going back. Um, were you ever a maker yourself? Is that kind of what led into this as well? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, one of my biggest passions um, is photography. And at a young, that's actually how I got into Slug, was I, um, I shot a cover for the magazine. And then that's how I met Gianni, the second owner. And then he offered me a job shortly thereafter. But I was doing, um, I love photography, specifically um, old school silver gelatin printing, working in the dark room, working with chemistry. I love that balance between science and technology mixed with art. Um, and so uh, ever, from a very, very young age, I was always driving photography and would you know, borrow my parents' point and shoot camera and just um, save up for a roll of film and run around the house taking photos. And then I finally, um, was saved up and bought a, a, an SLR. And then in photography, I, uh, through photography, I really kind of um, was able to exercise my creativity. That's also how I, I got embedded with the music scene was photographing local bands um, for fun, for experience, and also because they needed promotional images. And, uh, you know, that kind of led me to this big connection between music and art. And then also I, I was just surrounded by throughout my youth, really incredible creative individuals that were writing music, that were painting, that were creating. Um, and then of course, um, you know, later on the maker movement kind of had this resurgence because growing up in Utah, um, you know, I was, my, my family background is part of the predominant faith here, um, which is the LD, LDS religion. And so my parents, my mother, my, my father were always trying to engage me in sort of that kind of historical crafting narrative that's part of that culture, which is uh, a lot of it's with, is with food, with like canning and, and canning food and um, gardening, things like that, but also homemaking, sewing, things like that. And but I really rebelled against that. I was kind of attracted to those things, but um, uh, I was specifically with the homemaking side because I was, you know, a young feminist and certainly not going to just <laughs> uh, get married and um, become a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> and so, uh, so it, it, what I, I kind of had to mature a little bit to kind of connect those dots, and with graphics, I was able to do that to really um, embrace essentially that that time those time honored techniques that were passed down but also uh encourage people to utilize those in a more contemporary environment with you know using contemporary designs and reflections of what's happening in our culture right now things like that absolutely yeah it's a pretty utah is an interesting culture and so i finally had to move away um, but it was mostly because i just didn't like the snow i got tired of the cold <laughs> 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That can, uh, you know, in fact, skiing and snowboarding, um, I found really make my winters more enjoyable when I'm not skiing and snowboarding. Um, yeah, the cold will definitely get you down. Right. If you can play in it, it's all good. And then, <laughs> but if you have to drive around in it, it's different, but yeah, I definitely think, uh, Utah's got a great culture, a great, uh, community for entrepreneurs. Um, it's a great place. So I wanted to ask a few entrepreneurship questions and you've hit on some awesome things already, but you are an incredible leader and it's just super obvious, you know, community wise, you've got this team that you're leading. Did this kind of come naturally to you or is it something that you've worked on in your personal life with, you know, personal development or does this come natural? Well, thank you for that compliment. First of all, <laughs> I really appreciate that. You know, it's, um, it's something that I am now consciously working on. I would say the first oh, 10 years of my entrepreneurial career, even oh, maybe even longer than that, I didn't focus on it. I just tried to be the boss that I wanted, that I think that I would want. Um, I've worked for a lot of independent business owners. I've also worked for corporations and, through those experiences, I kind of learned what I felt was appropriate culture and what I didn't. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's been a struggle, um, learning how to be a great leader. I've definitely, uh, had a lot of hard lessons. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, I think, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say there is professional development for any, um, individual I think is so important. And I think it's, um, it's important to really take time to, you know, read up on areas that maybe you feel a little insecure about or to take additional classes. Um, and then also to just even have a nice support group with other business owners so that you can kind of talk about through problems and realize that you're not the only one having those. Um, I think for the first kind of uh, decade, really, I wasn't as, um, I didn't, I didn't reach out and have as many established relationships where I could feel really kind of talk about my work and leadership boss life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it's, and it's not that I uh, was really um, close minded to that. It's just, that I just didn't really think about, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't present. I was too busy doing the day to day, too busy, just getting the work done. Um, but, you know, once I've started to really kind of focus on that and put more time and energy into that, I, I feel like I've, I've been able to grow personally and also maybe not what some of the small stuff, um, you know, one of the things I think for me as an entrepreneur, that's hard is, is dealing with employee turnover. And, um, that's something that I'm trained. I'm still working on to have a better action plan for onboarding and exiting Teamsters and I think that when you're with a small company and you've, you've only got, you know, five positions, the whole team feels it once when someone has to move on. And so just really kind of working to make that a better, um, a positive, <laughs> yeah, yeah, better system and, just a, and a positive experience, right, for everyone. Right. So, um, so those, those are some areas that I've really been working on the past couple of years that I'm continuing to work on, but, but no, thanks for that compliment. But, but yeah, I think it's something that as a leader, we really need to be cognitive of and, um, continue to think about that and work on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this, but team, 
you got such a team behind you in all these things. And how important is it to have a team um, from a big company all the way down to even that solo entrepreneur or that band? Yeah. You know, it's so important to have teams. Um, I mean, my goodness, I could not do anything that I do without my team. I have such a great team. <laughs> and I, part of that is, uh, I think, empowering those Teamsters to really get to a point where they feel ownership in what we're creating together, that they feel like a big part of that, but also that they feel um, recognized. I think it's super important to have gratitude for your team. Um, one of the things that we've been doing um, in our team meetings for um, a couple years now is we'll do a staff meeting with the, the paid um, em employees. And I have both my teams working in the same office. We have an open office environment. So I have the craft like team and the slug team working side by side. And even though they're separate companies and there's some crossover, but it's also just, um, I've got a foot in both camps. And um, so I need to kind of be there to, to engage with both teams, but it's also it makes for a fun social environment. But one thing that we've been doing with our staff meetings, and I do them with both teams together, is we go around and um, talk about a win. Um, what's a win that happened that week? And it's a great opportunity for someone to kind of share something that they feel proud of, some challenge they overcame in their work life, and then have the uh, other team support them and hear about that acknowledge, and acknowledge that. And I think it's so important to acknowledge people, especially you know, with, with us, we, we're all doing probably the jobs of two to three people and um, probably getting paid 30% um, the market value of one <laughs> job. Right. <laughs> one per, so, you know, it's, it's really important that that culture stays positive and, um, again, that we that humble and that we're recognizing and thanking people for what they're doing, because I mean, that's why people are staying. You're starting to break off just a little bit there. Um, I lost <laughs> just a couple words, but I think we're still okay. Oh yeah. So I, I think, you know, I think that's why people are, people stay with um, companies like this is because they really care about what they're doing and the impact and so, you know, working to make sure that they're continually feeling that gratitude and that they're also uh, continuing to make that positive change. You mentioned something about uh, acknowledging the wins. And I think that goes all the way down to a personal level. I think, you know, everybody gets home from, from their day and they're like, oh, this happened, this happened, a lot of negative stuff. But if we could turn that around and just say, all the positive things that happened, you know, life would be a lot better. Oh yeah, I completely agree. And it, it is, it is so easy to gravitate towards what's not working, but you know, it's, it's uh, what, like you said, once you change that thinking around, um, it's a much better environment. Yeah. I would like to talk about branding and marketing because you've got, wealth of information on that because i mean with the magazine you got people coming in for advertising you've seen people you've seen businesses with great marketing and some with not so great marketing but what are some things you've learned about that um and some suggestions for the the smaller entrepreneurs that are getting started sure um that's a really great question i think uh it's important to stop and think about who your market is about um 
who you want to attract, why you want to attract. A fun little exercise can even be to come up with like a, um, a name for your consumer and an age and, you know, really turn them into a person and almost concept them out as to, so you can really get specific with who you think your customer is. And then I think it's important to do surveys and data to find out if that really is your customer. I think um, a great example is with a, one of our advertisers is a local beer company. And um, one, one of the things that they told us is they thought that their clientele was a Range Rover driving doctor that made over $100,000 a year. And then when they actually surveyed who was buying their product, they found out that it was really actually a young um, college um, to, to like maybe like 20s to 30s um, individual that was more of a blue collar worker. Um, and, um, you know, isn't that interesting? Like what a complete different shift in who you think your client is and who's actually, you know, buying your product. Um, so I, I think, you know, and that's kind of maybe some advanced marketing to eventually get into, but that's eventually where you want to go is, is really confirming um, essentially what you think is, is correct is correct. But as far as just starting out, um, I mean, having compelling graphics, um, having a great logo, um, there are so many awesome businesses that just have bad design. <laughs> and right. I, and I think having good design is one of the, the most important products to marketing and it can be really expensive, but again, you can also partner with other individuals that, um, could utilize you as an opportunity as well. So, you know, finding a, um, someone in the design department at the local university that needs a portfolio project or they need to do a logo design project and saying, hey, can we work together You can on, on this? Um, that's a great idea. But also again, making sure, I think, I think good design is, um, oh my gosh, it's so important. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so if you, um, you know, save a budget and, and eventually pay that person, right? If you do have someone that, that helped you as a volunteer with the logo, this is what we did with Craft Lake actually. The person that, that designed our logo was one of our volunteers and they um, ended up moving out of state. And then when we became um, an entity that had a budget, we actually sent them um, checks for a few years. Um, just when we had a little extra money in the budget, just as a thank you um, for designing that logo. Cause that's a logo that we still use today. And that's something that, you know, we should have, uh, you know, we, obviously we couldn't afford it, but you really should compensate designers and creatives when you can. And so, I mean, so you can get creative about it, solving that issue. I mean, don't, don't let the fact that you have no money stop you from right. starting a business or starting your marketing plan. I mean, I've bootstrapped um, both of my businesses. I did take out a loan to pay off the initial partner, but I worked two jobs on the side <laughs> for five years um, while running Slug Magazine in the early days just yeah. to just to afford to pay my bills and pay my one staff member when I first started off and you know slowly the hard work does pay off and you, you are able to increase those um those budgets so yeah de good design is so so important yes uh the acronym slug I mean that just kills it you know that uh salt lake underground um I always just thought that was just like the perfect you know, logo for them. And then your Craft Lake City just really dialed into the Salt Lake City um, theme and just worked out really well. 
Thank you. Well, and it's kind of funny that both of um, the businesses have names after our city, but I mean, that's really what we're about is building our city into the city that we want to live in. You know, that's something that's a saying that I like to say a lot because for many times I almost left Utah and uh, had other opportunities. And then for several reasons, I decided to stay. But when I made that commitment to really ultimately stay in Utah, that's that commitment I made was, okay, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to take over this magazine. I'm going to invest into our culture and make this more like New York City, more like San Francisco, more like Portland, more like these um, Austin, these really fun places that have events, that have, um, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. I think I'm getting a call. Let me just. Uh... That's fine. Oh. You have definitely created <laughs> the community that that is Salt Lake. You're a big piece of that. Thank you. Trying to uh, exit this. No problem. <laughs> I'm with you. So we're recording on this app. It's called Anchor. And this Anchor app's super handy. We just literally pick up our phones and uh, we're connected. And then uh, the podcast gets distributed through all the podcast channels. It's super fun, super interesting. I encourage a lot of other people should be starting podcasts. Are you still with us? Podcasts are so cool. In fact, we actually, (laughs) did you know that Slug has a podcast? I did not. You'll have to check it out. It's called Slug Soundwaves. I will definitely check it out. That's great. How long have you been doing that? We've been doing it for about five years now. And we changed the format about two years ago. So now it just focuses on local bands. Gotcha. Before that, was it was kind of a catch-all. Um, but now it's just, uh, yeah, just about local bands. Gotcha. We've covered a lot of, a lot of great topics. Um, I want to talk about you a little bit more it sounds like you have a love for photography is that still the case yes I do have a love for photography unfortunately I don't currently have as much time to dedicate toward it um but it is a current it's a goal it's a goal to make more time to get back back in the dark room and do more silver gelatin printing and participate in some local art shows or even just make some fun prints um for friends yeah, that's kind of where I was going with this is I was wondering for yourself, what is kind of next on the agenda for yourself or for the magazine or in business? What's kind of the next thing that you're reaching for as an entrepreneur? Wow, yeah, that's such a great question. For me, uh, it's really about making more time for myself to work on the vision of the business. So um as I kind of mentioned right now, we're staffing for a few positions on the slug side. And so because of that, I'm, um, you know, in a small business, when you have a, a position that you're staffing for or a teamster exits and you're not able to replace them, that position, you know, that, that work gets assimilated on the entire team or on a couple key individuals. And so um, once we kind of, so right now I'm kind of really working to, um, staff those positions and onboard board those new people, get them properly trained, make them feel autonomous in their role. So I can have a little more time to, to focus on the future of the business, forecasting, looking at our revenue streams, how we can increase our profitability, uh, all of those things, because uh, you know, increasing profitability, if we can get to some of those, those 
financial goals of ours, then um, you know we can make our quality of life here better for our team. So that's that's really what I'm focusing on with actually both slug and craft like right now. <laughs> so, yeah. And then and then then part of that will come a little extra time for me personally as well to focus on some of my personal hobbies. Yeah, definitely get some vacation time in. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and vacations, that's so important too. I always, I always plan a couple of vacations a year and just, you know, I, I think I hear sometimes from some uh, business owners and friends that are entrepreneurs about the fear of taking time off. Like you just got to do it and overcome that fear. And because it, you'll be so much more productive after a vacation. Yes. Well, I don't want to take up much more of your time. I know you're extremely busy. Do you have anything else that you want to add that uh, you might share with our listeners, maybe for entrepreneurship or for women in business? Um, oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You've got to um, specifically with women in business. I think, you know, uh, especially the industry that I'm in with slug, it's a very, very male dominated industry. Um, and, and it was a very, especially, you know, the magazine that I purchased had a very male dominated voice, which is really interesting when you kind of look back about it. Um, but I, I, I would say, don't let that intimidate you. Um, if you're, if you are the only woman in the room, don't see that as, uh, as, as a negative uh, aspect, try and turn that into a positive and really work on overcoming your fear. That's something that I've been working on, um, that I've really acutely been working on the past three years. Um, I actually made a list of everything I was afraid of and then started tackling it one item at a time. And that's been a game changer for me too. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of also just comes with experience and through age <laughs> too, is that confidence to really, um, work on those fears, but but man, if if you can, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you can really just just look at what you're afraid of and try and break that door down, and whatever you're doing, your life's gonna be so much happier, and you're gonna change, and it's it's gonna be great. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah, we're all afraid of something, and <clears throat> by tearing down that wall, we build that confidence to do the next thing, or to follow our passion. So that's yeah. very important. And I, and I think a lot of times I hear people blaming others for their lack of success when a lot of times it's really us. We're the ones stopping ourselves. No one else is stopping us. It's just, we are. And, and it's hard to, I think, recognize that and admit that, but part of that comes with fear. <laughs> Angela, man, it's been so great to talk to you. I hope that next time I'm in Salt Lake, we can get some coffee. Yes. Let's do it, Chad. I appreciate you. I'm going to, in the show notes, have some links for people to check out what's going on with Craft Lake and Slug. Um, but again, thank you so much for your time, Angela. I hope you have a great day. Yes. To Chad. Thanks so much. It was an honor to be on your podcast. <laughs> thank you. Podcast listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Angela Brown. I got some great nuggets from today's conversation around personal development, conquering your fears, around utilizing volunteers and internship to build your business. Along with that internship idea, you know, there's things that we would like to go out and learn and implement and, and become. 
And the power for us to be interns uh, in the field that we're interested in, that's a powerful tool as well. Um, and so that's something that I'm very interested in um, going forward in my career. Um, the other thing I took away was really building community into your business can be powerful. And so I once again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If there's some takeaways that you have, I'd love to hear from you. And the way to hit me would be on Twitter, at AuthenticChad. I'd love to hear your feedback, your comments, um, any suggestions for the podcast. Podcast listeners, I'd also love for you guys to take a look at Angela Brown, uh, the things she's doing, and that's going to be at the real Angela on Instagram and Twitter. That's her personal account. You can also go to at Slug Mag, Slug Magazine, or Craft Lake City, and those are also on the dot coms, SlugMag.com, CraftLakeCity.com. Guys, thanks for tuning in to Authentic Entrepreneur. We'll talk to you next time.